Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. I am in my healthy hair era. And let me tell you, the Amica mask, the hair mask, and the shampoo and conditioner, it's called The Cure, has completely transformed my hair. Okay, so this is what you're going to do. You're going to get the Amica Soul Food hair mask. You're going to damp your hair the day before you're going to wash your hair. You are going to slather this thing all over your strands, like really get in there. I'm so generous with how much I put. Then you're going to just sleep with your hair loosely tied. OK, we don't want anything tight because it'll damage your hair. Then you're going to wake up the next day and you're going to take your everything shower in the shower. You're going to wash off that mask and you're going to use the Cure shampoo and conditioner from Amika. I promise you, your hair is never going to look softer or smoother or silkier. Like the number of times I get compliments when I use this combo is insane. So let's get clinical. Amika's clinically proven shampoo and conditioner duos leave your hair looking and feeling like you just left the salon. Their science-backed formulas are powered by nourishing, naturally derived ingredients with no nasties that deliver visible, woe-worthy results for every hair type. So here's what I really love about Amika first. I mean, I love a brand with a good story. Amika actually means friend. How cute is that? And they are a fearless Brooklyn-born salon-raised hair care brand. I actually found Amika back in 2017. I was actually just looking at my stories because I tagged them. And the first time I tagged them was 2017. So that's how long I've been a fan of the brand. They use sea buckthorn powered products that nourish our skin, scalp and strands. And I've already said it, but this is a complete game changer for your hair. I get compliments every time I post my hair styled on stories. It's, it's just insane. So Amika has an offer for you guys. What you're going to do is you can shop all of my personal favorites at loveamika.com slash dream bigger and you get 20% off your order. Okay, so the 20% off discount automatically applies at checkout if you use my link and cannot be combined with other offers. It expires on the 1st of November 2023. So you are going to want to get on it. Like, honestly, get everything that I listed. But if you can only get two products, I'm going to say get the soul food hair mask and get the cure shampoo. Like those would be my top ride or die. I, I just can't live without them. Enjoy. Hi, I'm Sif Hyder, the founder of Array. I'm a wellness entrepreneur and digital creator. And this is my show, The Dream Bigger Podcast. Listen, I love dreaming big, but you know what I love more? actually having the resources to make those big dreams happen. And hey, dreams can sometimes be private jets, but other times they can look a little something like having the best skin of your damn life or starting a successful business or delving into spirituality. So on this podcast, I chat with experts and thought leaders from different fields about their tips and tricks on doing exactly that. So let's get right into it. Hello, friends, and welcome back to another episode of the Dream Bigger podcast. Today's guest is a very dear friend of mine and honestly, one of the smartest people that I know. I am, of course, talking about Maggie Sellers. Now, Maggie is a very well-known angel investor, and I knew that I needed her on the podcast because whenever we hang out, I learn so much. And um, she's just someone I turn to personally whenever I need 
kind of help on something or advice on something when it comes to everything from investments to like very specific business things as well. And when I said that I was having her on on stories, the number of questions that I got was crazy. You guys are clearly very interested in both how to start investing into other businesses as an angel investor and also for new entrepreneurs, how to receive investments from both angels and VCs. So today's episode is absolutely value packed. Like I could have honestly, I probably will do like a part two and a part three because we didn't even touch the surface. But what you can expect from this episode is everything from how to start investing your money and honestly, really incredible resources for people who are looking to start investing into other businesses. I know that you guys may hear about, oh, like so-and-so is an angel investor, like maybe you want to start your own journey. And what Maggie does a really good job at is explaining how people can even get started. We talk about how she transitioned her career and how other people should think about structuring their comps packages in order to build wealth. We talk about the difference between angel investors and receiving investments from a venture capitalist partner. So there's a lot of material to cover. Honestly, I wish that we could have even gotten into how we're both Canadians living in LA because I swear we have, we're trauma bonded because of our visa process. We both have the same class of visa and she's someone who I really leaned on during my journey. And I just think that something like that just builds a lot of resilience, which you can see in Maggie. So this is an incredible conversation probably one of my favorites. And, you know, it just kind of happens that way when you're really good friends with a guest. But I think you guys are going to take so much away from it. I was catching up with my EA McKenzie a couple of days ago, and she's like, Maggie is so smart. And I'm like, I know it's kind of insane. So I'm really excited for you guys to listen to the episode. Before we dive in, I want to bring you guys this week's review, which comes to us from EK112930. And they say, happy I found you. Hi, Sif. I'm so happy I found the show. I'm a new listener and have bounced around a few episodes, but I love learning more about health and about the entrepreneurial side of businesses. I was wondering if you could link product that you talk about or have on the show. For example, your 2022 favorites episode, I would love to try out some of the products you mentioned, and it would be a lot easier if you link them all somewhere for the listeners to find. Thank you so much for this feedback. Um, EK112930. This is actually a really good call out. Thank you for sharing this feedback. And I'm going to make sure that that is done in every episode. And you guys, honestly, I have said this before and I will say it again and again, but I so appreciate every single time you guys leave me a review. So if you do have a couple of seconds and feel like the show brings you value, please take a second to rate and review the show. Honestly, it means the world to me. All you have to do is open up the Apple podcast app, scroll down to the bottom where it says rate and review the show in the rating section. If you feel like I've deserved it, please leave me a five-star rating. And in the review section, let me know any feedback that you have, what you want more of, what guests you want, maybe favorite topics from past episodes, whatever feedback you can give me is incredibly helpful for me as a host and just allows me to continue to deliver the most value. All right. With that, let's welcome Maggie Sellers to the Dream Bigger podcast. So we're just going to dive right in because there is a lot for us to get through. I'm here for it. So first things first, give everyone Mm -hmm. a background of your career because you know, it's I think it's really interesting that you're in this space. It's traditionally a very male dominated space, which we can get into. But did you always want to be an investor? Like, tell me everything. Okay, so I actually didn't always want to be an investor, but I always knew I wanted to work in startups. And when I I think it was four years ago, I moved to L.A. with my old startup. I'm obviously from Canada, which I think we'll touch on. And I went to a networking event and I saw this partner of Lightspeed, Nicole Quinn, give a presentation. And I was like, that is what I I need to do. Mm-hmm. I took a screenshot. I emailed it to my mom and I was like, keep this for me. Like, I want this to be my manifestation thing. Like, I didn't know even about manifestation or goal setting or whatever. All I knew is I wanted someone to hold me accountable to do what I'm doing today. Mm-hmm. So I'd say it was like four years ago that I even knew that venture capital was an opportunity and obviously didn't come from a TRA venture fund or an investment bank or uh, Harvard or Yale. So the opportunities were very limited to actually get in. Mm -hmm. So I've kind of carved my own 
path and now deploy what a venture capitalist would do at a, at a venture fund, but do it through a syndicate model. And it's really fun. It's incredible. Okay, so <laughs> I think we need to go back to basics. Yeah. Talk to everyone about the basics of fundraising. Like, what are the different stages? You know, like just like A to Z, because most people don't even know what a syndicate is. Yeah. So first, basics of fundraising, and then we'll get into venture versus angel and all of that. Okay. So I think like basics of raising money is that you want to grow your business and you're at a point where you can't do that unless you take capital from outside of your business. So if you want to go and spend it, you know that if you just go and you put dollars towards marketing, or to people or to HR, you will be able to hit a different level of growth than you could do with what's coming in from a revenue perspective. So that's the first thing is you're like, I need to grow and I don't have the capital to do that. So you go out and this is dependent on, you can raise money at any time in the life cycle of your business. Most often we've seen it, especially in the last kind of heyday of direct to consumer brands, which I'm assuming a lot of the listeners are not like B2B or biotech companies they would go out even like pre-idea. So we all know that story of Emily Weiss on how I built this. She's like, I went and raised a million dollars and that's how I launched my first five products of Glossier. So traditionally, people have done it pre-revenue, but you can fundraise at any point. And actually, as a consumer investor, I prefer when founders have proof of concept, they have really good unit economics already, there's traction, there's a community that we can measure, and then they actually go out to fundraise. And what fundraising really means is, especially with its equity crowdfunding, because there's different ways to go get money, you can get a line of credit, you can get debt, but we're speaking about equity financing. That is when you give a percentage of ownership of your company to an investor, whether it's a fund or it's an individual, in exchange for capital that you're bringing in based on the valuation of the company. It's going to be hard to go into detail of what the valuation would be, but at its essence is you are giving up a percentage of ownership to take capital into your company to grow that you otherwise wouldn't be able to do without external financing. Love. So I think something that you said, which is, you know, back in the heyday of D to C, people were taking money on an idea and they were getting these insane valuations, raising an insane amount of money. And obviously things have very much changed since then. You know, the there have been changes in iOS, which have kind of changed the landscape of Facebook marketing, which back in the day, like that's how companies scaled from zero to 100 million so quickly. So. I'm actually of the belief exactly like you that I think that there's a certain stage where it's advantageous for founders to raise. And I think that that should be put off until at least they have like a good proof of concept, because I think if you raise too early, you're going and you're diluting yourself with with no concept. You know, you've not really proved yourself. You have no leverage. But what are your thoughts So I think that it depends one on the category. So like we were just saying beverage is obviously very expensive versus like retail or like another packaged goods Mm -hmm. because of how expensive it is to make and ship this. Mm -hmm. So it it really does depend. It also depends on the founder makeup. So I don't think there's like that's the hard thing about even teaching, you know, any sort of equity financing, both to a founder or to an investor or an aspiring is there's no formula. And this is, I guess, the first hot take I'll say on the podcast. But I really, really, really hate when experienced VCs, some of which I like respect and love, say that valuations don't matter. Valuations absolutely matter. It is, yes, a made up number. It is arbitrary. There is no set formula when you're at like the pre-seed to the series A, even series B level. But they matter because to your point, and this is really important for you to understand when you're raising, when you put a number on the value of your company and you take external financing, you are now setting yourself up to get diluted so you don't own as much of your business. So that absolutely matters. So investors that say, oh, well, you know, your valuation doesn't really matter right now. Yes, you might only get diluted by three to 10 percent. But you still have to have an understanding of what that means, because what I've seen happen is truly like when you're at a Series D, I've seen consumer brand founders that own like 5% of their company. And And that's not worth it, because also later stage investors are going to be like, this founder doesn't have enough of the pie to keep motivated and keep going, because you more than anybody here could talk about how hard it is to be a founder. Yeah, it's I think 
that's and that's the thing that like if you start too early in your pre-seed and you have basically just an idea and you give up like 20 percent of your business right from the gates like guess what you're probably gonna have to raise again and again and again and again and again and you're you're gonna be like those founders five percent and then what's keeping you going well and on the flip side here is like what we were just talking about in the heyday of direct consumer basically all of the brands that we used to idolize like the you know casper the Allbirds, the warby Parkers, they just took, they became unicorn companies by taking venture capital money and literally putting it into a lottery machine and putting that into digital ads to go and acquire a customer at such a minimal cost. And then to your point, iOS changed and it is not the same. Like people are building brands based on real community. That is a lot more expensive and harder than going to acquire them the way that those, you know, iconic brands of the last generation did. And look at where they are in the public markets now if they went public. And the ones that didn't go public, they raised so much money at such a high valuation because that was the thing to do that now success to investors and to founders looks like an even bigger exit. That's going to be almost impossible. It scares me. Yeah, no. And I'm absolutely with you because, you know, sometimes I'll read headlines, right? And thankfully, I'm a seasoned founder now. And like, you know, I'm not like, I don't know, phased by this stuff. In fact, like, I'm obviously like I know the inner workings of things, but I remember, you know, when I was younger, I'd read a headline and it was like so and so raised 10 million dollars at a billion dollar valuation. And I'm like, you realize you have to get there. Right. And more. Yeah. It's like it's not like a magical number. And like you've made it like you've not sold your company. You've not IPO'd. Like, what's the plan? Well, here's a second hot take that nobody talks about. And I'm honestly just learning now because I've been in this now for like almost three years full time. But there is something called a secondary market. Mm -hmm. So what happens is that when these founders or whoever and it's not a founders thing, it's everybody. There's investors that sell in the secondary market. When this has happened, they take money off of the table. They're selling their shares through the secondary market. So I think that's what it gets even more complicated, especially when you're an employee, especially when you're earning ESOP and you don't understand this stuff. You know, if you have the right to purchase options with ESOP, you have to have the money to purchase the options depending on your strike price. This is all stuff that I didn't know working in startups. I'm so lucky in my background to have gone public with the first startup that I worked at. The second one, you know, we raised so much money and I learned the highs, the lows, like being an operator that when I wanted to make the switch to being an angel because I didn't have any options for venture yet, I was doing and asking questions that most founders were like, why is an angel investor asking these questions? Like, how do you even know that? Mm -hmm. And it's only because of my background, learning through experience, not being a founder, but being an operator. And I think that's why today there's so much trust in, you know, the work that I do from diligence to portfolio management to making sure that it's not just what VCs are attached to it. It's like, what do I believe the valuation should be going and calling experts and understanding the multiples in the space, which I don't think a lot of syndicate or angel investors are even doing. But I knew I wanted to make this my career, which is why, you know, you've even seen it. You're like, did you put this together yourself? And yeah, I I do. (laughs) Nish was like, I am so impressed by your due diligence, like floored. (laughs) I love it, though. Like, I just think people, another huge misconception, misconception about venture capital is it's like a finance game. And at the early stage, pre-seed Series A, it is not finance. Mm-hmm. It is literally a people's business. It is being an investigator. It is being curious. It is questioning. It is having JOMO, not FOMO. And those are all things like if you were to describe Maggie, like that's I feel like how you would describe me, you yeah. know? Yeah, absolutely. I am in my healthy hair era. And let me tell you, Amika's clinically proven shampoo and conditioner duos leave your hair looking and feeling like you just left the salon. Their science-backed formulas are powered by nourishing, naturally-derived ingredients with no nasties that deliver visible, woe-worthy results for every hair type. So here's what I really love about Amika first. I mean, I love a brand with a good story. Amika actually means friend. How cute is that? And they are a fearless Brooklyn-born salon-raised hair care brand. I actually found Amika back in 2017. I was actually just looking at my stories because I tagged them and the first time I tagged them was 2017. So that's how long I've been a fan of the brand. They use sea buckthorn powered products that nourish our skin, scalp, and strands. And 
I've already said it, but this is a complete game changer for your hair. I get compliments every time I post my hair styled on stories. It's it's just insane. So Amika has an offer for you guys. What you're going to do is you can shop all of my personal favorites at loveamika.com slash dream bigger and you get 20% off your order. Okay, so the 20% off discount automatically applies at checkout if you use my link and cannot be combined with other offers. It expires on the 1st of November 2023. So you are going to want to get on it. Like, honestly, get everything that I listed. But if you can only get two products, I'm going to say get the soul food hair mask and get the cure shampoo. Like those would be my top ride or die. I, I just can't live without them. Enjoy. Hi, friends. I'm Cameron Rogers, host of Freckles Beauty and Friends podcast, which is now on Dear Media. Are you wondering what just happened to your life after having a baby or struggling with your mental health during postpartum? That was me just a few months ago. Are you working on healing your relationship with yourself, your body, and or food? Same. We are all on a journey to self-love and acceptance, and I'm right there with you. That's what Freckled Foodie and Friends is all about, reminding you that no matter what, you are not alone. Make sure to tune in for season five, launching with Dear Media on November 9th, and subscribe to listen to new episodes every Wednesday morning. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. So talk to me about the difference between an angel investor and a venture capitalist. Yeah. So an angel investor is somebody that is most typically investing on behalf of their own money. Mm -hmm. So where that gets different, and obviously there's so many, even if you were to say, like, describe a series A from a series C right now, I'd be like, oh, well, it's changed a lot. But an angel investor is somebody that invests their own money into a company, a privately held company, in exchange for that ownership. A venture capitalist or a private equity investor, they are investing on behalf of other people's money. That's the biggest distinction. And what that really means is that they are taking a 20% stake in the carry once the initial capital is returned plus a 2% management fee on the total amount that they have under management. So that's why venture funds say, you know, we have 100 million AUM assets under management. So if they are investing and they return, let's say a 5X, once all the initial capital is returned, they then get to take a 20% carry. Mm -hmm. So they're basically getting rich, hopefully if they're good, off of investing other people's money, whereas angels are just hopefully getting rich off of their own money. So- What should founders look for when they're raising from venture capitalists versus angels? And at what stage should they be really going to venture capitalists? Because I've had so many conversations with younger founders and they're like, you know, I'm doing like barely any money in revenue and I'm going to VC. And I'm like, "Uh uh-uh, you don't Mm -hmm. need to go there quite yet because you should be getting your money from angels, you know? I think, again, when we're talking, I've spent a lot of time in consumer tech recently. That mm-hmm. is like a little different. Of course, you know, yeah. the, just the the way to bring something to life is a lot more expensive. But let's like talk about consumer brands. Mm-hmm. I think the, the landscape has shifted so much. Money is not accessible like it used to be. We are not in a founder's market anymore. Yeah. And on everything, valuations down to how easy it is to raise. And so I think, you know, unless you have, you're a second time founder, you have existing relationships with venture capitalists. You came from being the third employee at Warby Parker, at Casper. You are better off to get creative, build a community first, build up and sh- be able to show something Go and raise from angel investors. Go and raise from family and friends. Put your own money in or do something creative like a Kickstarter because going and raising from venture capitalists today is just going to be such a long road to get a yes. And that's what that's what raising is. It is a numbers game. How many people are you speaking to? Because eventually down the funnel, somebody will say yes if you're convincing and you're a good salesperson and you actually have a good business. But the time it might take you to find that yes, you may not have a business anymore because you haven't been running it. That's the thing that people don't realize, that fundraising is such a time suck. It is the, like, I hate it. Yeah. It's such a time suck. You are essentially moving away from being an operator to fundraise full time. And you are on conversation after conversation. And, you know, I think 
like if you are looking for capital and the expertise of someone, I think it's much better to go the route that you're saying, especially when you're a younger stage business. Yeah. And I think, too, it's just about like understanding that when not every business and consumer is built for venture capital. Exactly. Yeah. I think also you have to the number one thing that I would just say if you are a founder listening to this and you're thinking about raising is before you sign your term sheet, before you could take the money, you need to make sure you were on the same page of what success looks like to your investors the same way you know what your success looks like. Because if they're underwriting your deal, and this happened to me last year, an amazing company, a consumer brand, you would know them. I I use them all the time. They had $3 million top line revenue and they were raising as the VC that had underwrote the deal, that success would look like a three a $1 billion valuation exit. So they literally, I was like, how are you planning to get though from 3 million top line to your valuation already being underwritten that you need to have a billion dollar exit? I know who you're talking about. Yes. <laughs> and I was like heartbroken. I'm like, I love this brand. I would love to contribute. Like, I would love to be a part of this mission, but I just don't believe that's what success is going to look like. And don't get me wrong, that was a way more experienced venture fund than I am. But I think that's another problem with VC is like, it is such a FOMO industry and it's based on like the bros and like what venture fund is leading it. And don't get me wrong, I fall prey to that sometimes too. But you really need to believe in yourself and understand the consumer to be a good consumer investor that there will be good companies, but not good deals. And that is where founders need to make sure that they are not getting set up to fail. Yeah, absolutely. So I think what you're saying is incredibly important because I think when founders are going out to raise money, they don't realize that they are getting into a long-term relationship with whoever they're raising money from, which means that it's incredibly important for them to be vetting their investors the same way that their investors are doing due diligence on them. Fully. And that's a whole power dynamic issue that the industry has faced where it's like, because especially female founders, like they haven't been able to see somebody across the table that looks, talks, experiences the same thing as them. So there has always been this like power dynamic, I think, in this industry where, you know, if you need the money and you're about to go bankrupt, you're going to just take anything. Right. And so that relationship and dynamic, I think, based on the industry, I think getting back to an even place will start to shake out. But I agree. It's like I always say this. It's harder to get a investor off your cap table than it is to get a divorce. And it is so long-term, this relationship that you are getting into, it all obviously depends how much ownership they have in your company. Do they have a board seat? Like how much actual influence do they have? A $10,000 angel investor is not going to be able to rock the boat, but you just want to make sure everybody that you're bringing in is either strategic, is going to help you, has the same alignment in terms of what success will look like. And then you need to exhaust all of your options to find somebody else if you already feel like there's weirdness before you even actually get into business with this investor. What are red flags that founders should look for? So I think like one of the biggest red flags is when somebody is underwriting your deal to be a billion dollar exit as a consumer brand. Like what company can do that? That is insane. It depends obviously on what industry you're in because the multiple could be anywhere from like a two to a 10x. But like That is crazy to me. I would be like, I don't think that this is realistic. But when you're a founder, you're somewhat delusional. So that's my like biggest red flag. I'm a delusional founder, but there's only so much delusion that's healthy. Fully. And I think that's also like on the flip side with TikTok. It's like, don't get me wrong, like hot, smart, rich baby. But like being delusional to an extent where you're still bringing ration into your decisions and not just leading from like, oh, well, I think I am the next Apple. I've worked at a startup that literally, this is the quote, we are a forever brand. We are the next Apple. And what we endured because of how much money we raised and at what valuation, it just made all of the good people leave because as soon as there's that pressure from the top, it's like the the culture. And we both know business is people. You don't have good people. You don't build a business. So it's so interconnected. That's what I've really learned. But that's a huge red flag. And I think the other one to your point is like when they don't feel when you don't feel like they really want to hear from you about what you're looking for. And mm-hmm. it's like you can just tell that they're smelling blood in the water. 
there are signs and you will feel them in your gut when you're like, whoa, I don't feel good about this. Listen to that. And then, like I said, use every person in your network to try to meet somebody else. Because if you already have that feeling, it's probably going to get worse. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. It's officially fall because it's a burr month. And even though it is sweltering hot here in L.A., it's still fall for me. And so I'm switching up kind of the footwear that I'm wearing. I'm moving away a little bit more from sandals to more loafers where I can introduce them on days that it's not like a heat wave vibe. And I am obsessed with the LED loafers from Vionic Shoes. Now, I've talked about Vionic before, but honestly speaking, their shoes are probably one of the most comfortable or not one of like their shoes are the most like one of the most comfortable brands that I've ever worn in my life. So the first time I tried Vionic was with their sandals and I wore it while I was in Europe walking 10 to 20,000 steps a day. And my feet had never felt more comfortable in cute shoes and supported. And I was just incredibly impressed. And so I got their LED loafers and I absolutely love them. They look super cute with all of my fall outfits, but also they're really, really comfortable. Personally, for me, I am an East Coast girl. I live in LA, but that's just who I am at my core. And I love to walk everywhere. I walk a ton every single day and I don't like to compromise on how I look just so that I can walk, you know? So I want footwear that is both comfortable and very, very chic. So here's the thing about Vionic, okay? Their exclusive Viomotion technology is what really sets them apart. They began by revolutionizing medical orthotics, and today they continue to use that science to engineer shoes that leave you feeling energized and confident all day long. They even offer a 30-day guarantee. So if you don't love the shoes for whatever the reason, you can just send them back and receive a full refund within 30 days. So it really is one of these risk-free situations. And I cannot even imagine a scenario where you wouldn't love these shoes because the way they mold to your feet, like I can't even explain it. It is so incredibly comfortable. So Vionic has an offer for you guys. Use code DREAMBIGGER15 at checkout for 15% off your entire order at www.vionicshoes.com when you log into your account. It's a one-time use only. Vionic Shoes, wearable well-being for your feet. Enjoy. VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Talk to me about, like, and I'm sure we've probably both met founders who have been so incredibly led on. And I'm just like, it like, you just got to cut it at some point. You know, it's like these fuckboy investors. Literally, literally. It's and and it's, you know, it's so hard. It's like I probably done that once or twice just because I'm a one person show. I don't actually have like the same infrastructure Mm -hmm. that a VC fund would. But and and I wouldn't even say I've led them on like what will happen is that VCs will literally be like, we want this deal. We want to lead like we need this in our data room that's not already existing. The founder will go and like draft up all these reports and like literally be just like on every call, meeting, managing partners, doing this, doing that. And then complete ghost would never. I've never done that. But I think it's like, again, VC, a lot of it is built off of FOMO. And so investors want to be able to literally make the last decision and be in their courts like dating. And it's like true fuckboy behavior. But I think that's where, again, you need to be so vigilant through this entire process, keeping a really strong CRM of like, 
What are the interactions like? How long did they take to follow up with you? All these little things, the same way you would analyze and send text messages to your friends to be like, this is what he said to me after the first date. Like, you need to take that same care when you're raising money to remember what it's like going through a process with them. It's also really important, and this cannot be like said enough, that it's important to like vet people with like other sources, you know? So I'll like tell you a story. I don't know if you know this, but when we were going through um, our first race, like this was like our first time doing this. Like we don't fucking know, okay? Like we're also, we didn't have the relationships that we do today, but I had thankfully other founder friends. And so we were going through with this like one VC fund for like a while, but they were like taking a minute to respond to us, like taking actually more than like a little bit. And so I called up my friend and I was, she's like a founder as well. And I was like, hey, like, what do you know about them like like this is what's happening and she's like sif i i'm gonna do my own digging but i can tell you right now that this is like a really bad sign because she'd like raised tons like you know just like many times she calls me back and she's like they have no money they have no money Yes. So this is what they probably were dealing with is that when you raise a fund, you're like, honestly, what this is something people don't know. And just to not to shit on VCs this whole episode, because I obviously also kind of operate like one, but you raise from other investors, right? You're investing on behalf of other people. So what a lot of founders don't realize is like investors are actually in that same like position of trying to go to like institutions, high net worth individuals, family offices to be like, can you invest in my funds that like I can invest on behalf of you and take that 20% carry to management fee. So a lot of times, you know, you raise your first fund, let's say you raise 20 million and you're going to deploy it over a two or three year period. And then when you are like, I don't know, maybe a year, a year and a half in, you're like, we've deployed, let's say 50% of the fund. We need to like go and start to fundraise again. What has happened? I don't know when this was for you, but what's happened recently is that VCs, because of the climate to invest, they've also had trouble raising. So they've had periods where they're like, we actually don't have reserves for new investments out of the fund. We only have follow on based on my portfolio exactly. construction. But what they will do is the exact same thing that I do, which is they'll put a syndicate together from their LPs. They'll maybe lower some of the minimums and the term carry, whatever, but they will actually do investments outside of the fund while they're trying to raise the fund. So mm-hmm. that's the thing is like, there's just such a lack of communication yeah. and like awareness in this industry about all sides that I feel like there's so many misconceptions on both sides. Absolutely. And that's honestly why I started posting on TikTok. No. Okay. So <laughs> actually, let's just sidebar now. Talk to me about TikTok because I think you were one of the very first people who started posting about investing on TikTok and making it so digestible for everyone. What even gave you the idea to do this? Because now it's fucking cool. I I know everyone's doing it. I'm like, (laughs) now it's cool. And like now, you know, everyone loves you. But back then, people were like, what are you doing? (laughs) There we go. So getting vulnerable here for a second, like I honestly had such a chip on my shoulder. Like I have done such amazing things in my career, but literally with zero recognition. And I think that's where people today are like, it's an overnight success. And I'm like, girl, I've been working for literally 11 years grinding, like at the office till 2 a.m., I broke off like a five year like relationship previously. I literally say I like blew up my life from Toronto when I was moving to L.A. for the first time. And I gave my life to my job and I had no recognition. So when I had just left, you know, trying to launch a corporate venture for a record label, which ended up doing really well, I was like kind of lost. And I was like, I just feel like I'm working for the man again, even though I'm trying to think I'm working for myself. I'm just going to take a step back and like let the universe tell me what I should do. I think listening to who I am is like to bring people together and is to do things as a team. And I find, you know, I was operating as like a solo wolf for so long that when I started posting on TikTok, it was like finally this little sense of community, even though I had like 2000 followers, maybe not even like a thousand followers. People were like, oh, this is really cool. I'm learning something. And I was like, wow, like this is really cool because I love talking about it. And I'm now connecting with people and I don't feel like a lone wolf. And I feel like Finally, I'm getting some recognition for the things that I've done to be like, wow, she actually knows what she's doing. And I had never had that before. And so now that it's grown to what it has, and I I think a lot of people are like, oh, well, you know, you, you have all these things working for you. And I'm like, it was not like that for 
literally 11 years. Like I wasn't asked to go on one podcast. I didn't even barely like I didn't go to conferences. I didn't do speeches. I didn't do any of this stuff. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what I have tried to communicate through TikTok is like, if you want something, it is not an overnight success, even though it seems like this in a generation of like, you know, you get famous off of TikTok. But I think the future is these subject matter experts that are bringing their expertise to TikTok and making it relatable and digestible. And that takes time to build. Like, I don't have the experience that I wouldn't have this experience without that decade working in startups and working in corporate. And that's why I think to me, I'm finding like so much enjoyment from it because it's so much bigger than TikTok. It feels like truly a mission and a movement of like women accepting who they are and not being afraid to walk into their power to say, talk about money, claim rich energy, claim being hot, claim being smart. My whole life I was taught I can only be one of those things. It's one or the other. It's one or the other. And it's like, fuck that. Like you can be anything that you want. And yes, it is so polarizing. When I started video, like I am hot, smart, rich. People are like, is this satire? And I'm like, why is that so hard for you to hear a woman say that? Mm -hmm. Like we need to start letting women feel empowered to be whoever the fuck they want to be and stop putting them in these boxes. And if that like I get chills because if that's my life's mission versus the actual investing side, that feels like so much of a bigger plan for me than like what I initially set out to do on TikTok, which was for my own recognition. Yeah. I mean, what you're doing is incredibly important, right? Because I I mean, it was the same thing for me. Right. And I, I don't think I've ever said this on the podcast, but like growing up, like people would call me a bimbo, right? Like all the time. And I was so underestimated my entire life, my entire life. And I just had this fire in me where I was like, I'm going to prove myself yeah. and I'm not going to do it dressing in sweats. I like to look the way that I do. And I'm proud of everything that I've accomplished, but it doesn't mean that I have to diminish like my looks or pretend that I don't like looking hot, you know, like it's fine to be both. Fully. And I think even like we as women are even afraid to claim being hot. Like I've also said like in my head before, I'm like, I don't say you're pretty because like then people are going to think you think you're pretty. And it's like, I, why is that so why bad? Is that so bad? <laughs> I remember this so distinctively well. There was this girl in high school. We weren't that good of friends, but I really respected her. And she posted this thing and it was very like off the cuff that she would do this. Mm. And it was when everybody was starting to selfie and whatever. And she was like, I love when you selfie. And you know why? It shows me that you love yourself. And it might Ugh. be for another reason, but let's like embrace people loving themselves. Why do we want people to feel bad about themselves, especially in today's generation? So I think for me, it's like, especially as business women, and it's so funny, I literally with LPs will be like, check out my TikTok. I just posted a video about this and I will send them the link. And if they don't want to invest with me, fine. I don't want to invest with you either because I know that there are even men that respect that and are like, wow, you have an edge. You have a moat. You have a different way of looking at things because you thought differently and you weren't tricked into this illusion that like you can only do something one way. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that whoever you're going into business with, I think they need to see you for who you are. And like, especially in the world that we're in, like I see founders feeling like they need to be someone else for their investors or, you know, they need to change who they are in order to like like be a founder or like, you know, if they're investing, it's like, you know, I have to show up in a certain way. No, like you are who you are and you are where you are because of who you are. hundred you know? percent. And I think it's like my biggest, whenever someone's like, what's the one key to your success? I'm like, honestly, it is being a mirror. Like it's knowing when to your point, you were like filming the podcast, like you're high energy, you're bringing that side. And then there's a side of you, I'm sure that's like behind the computer oh, screen, yeah. you know, so you know when to turn things on. Like, I'm not going to go into raising like, let's say an anchor LP of five million dollars. Hot, smart, rich, baby. <laughs> but I'm going to be like, hey, HSR Ventures. And like, you know, this is how we utilize a tool like TikTok to get reach, whatever. And it's, you know how to how to move and let things work for you. But you're not, you are bringing your authentic self to work, which I have shied away from for basically up until I started posting on TikTok. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's it's really, really important. OK, so what about for someone who's wanting to get into angel investing? How where how and where do they start? So you have to be an accredited investor to do like 
angel investing in its most traditional sense, which the SEC has a rule of guidelines. I'm not going to try to repeat them here because I'll probably mess them up. But that's the number one most important thing is to make sure that you're operating within those guidelines. Mm-hmm. Now with crowdfunding, there have been like a totally different array of options for people to go and invest that are not accredited investors. And there are some good companies that are raising that way, which mm-hmm. I think is cool to bring the community along. Like TBH last year did a really good one, in my opinion. Substack did another one. But if you wanted to start angel investing, I think like you need to really get very clear on why and like what types of companies you want to angel invest into. Because one of the things I kind of wish, I mean, I don't regret anything, but one of the things that I did find challenging when I was like out to the market, I'm an angel investor, is that you're getting hit up with deals and you need to have the time to go through because how are you going to find that winner if you're only looking at one or two deals a week? You're probably not. Mm -hmm. And it's very hard to say no very quickly when you're just like, I'm an angel investor. Like in what? Are you doing pre-seed, seed, seed, series A? Like how much money do you want to allocate over the course of a year? And like how much per deal? And then you have to understand industries. Like, do you want to really focus on beauty? Do you want to focus on wellness? Do you want to focus on retail? And why? Do you offer an advantage? Because if you're going to try and do it yourself, think about everything I just said and now add that into your existing life, especially if you're already a founder. Mm -hmm. So what I've done, like, you know, you have even experienced this as I was doing the same diligence I used to do in a corporate venture seat. And I was doing that for my own angel investment check, which ROI doesn't make sense. What I started doing was like, okay, I'm going to raise money on behalf of my own money and other people's money, do all of the diligence for them, go through, get I get like 50 pitch decks a week. I'm talking to VCs on the phone all the time about like, oh, are you leading this deal? Oh, I would love to come in on that with you. And then I do all of that work on behalf of founders, creators, investors. They obviously have the final say, which is like a great world. It's the same way I explain like, you know, buying art. I didn't go to galleries and was like, I'm ready to buy art. I have no clue. I went to an art advisor. She was my best friend. And I was like, I want to start investing in art. Here's my budget for the year. Here's how much I want to spend. Here are the things I like. Send me stuff that could work for me. Mm-hmm. And I think not everybody's going to have that, but there are syndicates. There are angel groups. I know there was one that I spoke to um, called The Council. There's another one from Hustle Fund. So if you're looking to start with like $1,000 checks, those are two really good options. And then it's, again, just immersing yourself in the startup ecosystem. Go to your founder friends. Like, oh, who do you invest with? Or do you invest? Or, mm-hmm. okay, like what's your process been like so far? And if you are a founder and you have that ecosystem already into the startup world, going to your friends' companies or like the companies that are hitting you up for advice. And if you're passionate about it and you align with the mission, see if they'll take a check from you mm-hmm. and then get your feet wet, start advising, get equity, and then you'll kind of learn it as you go. But I think the biggest thing is if you are going to commit to being an angel investor, you have got to commit. And whether that looks like, you know, finding the team that's going to do it for you, or it's like you are going to brand yourself as an angel investor, you got to know it's not something like passive. If you want to make money from it, mm-hmm this is a a numbers game. This is like every 90% of startups fail. So you got to really be looking at a lot of deals a week to make sure that if you're going to do that yourself, like you're committed to the time that it takes to do that. Yeah, absolutely. Also, I think that, you know, I've had conversations with people who are maybe just thinking about angel investing. And fact of the matter is that it is a numbers game. And I think like, you know, if one deal pans out and it like does really well, then you make a lot of money. But you kind of have to like angel invest knowing that like, okay, like I may not see this money again fully. And I think you have to be aligned with the mission. Like that's what I talk a lot about is mission. And so my new investment thesis is very mission driven. Like I kind of was like agnostic consumer. I had done like investing in, in a record label. So it was like working with like artists and I was just very like anything will go. Mm-hmm. And then now it's like I am aligned to I think being a woman is incredibly difficult, especially as you evolve in your role throughout society. So when you go from being, you know, a, a single woman to a domestic partner to a house manager to trying to become a wife and then trying to have fertility, become a mom, you're dealing with education and caretaking and you're building a business and all these things. Women need help. <laughs> and so my new mission is like, 
how do I invest in the products and services that will help women as they evolve in their role throughout society? So that could look like, you know, I just angel invested a super small check into an AI conversational AI edge, early childhood education platform, where it's like, you know, rising daycare costs, issues of of price and, and trust and quality. Now you can literally give your kid a one-to-one almost educator where they can be learning from AI versus just Miss Rachel that is not actually teaching your kid anything, but is keeping them entertained. Mm. So that's where I think when you are angeling, even if that doesn't pan out, I feel really good about the mission of like empowering a female founder to build it, the problem that she was facing. And if it doesn't work out, at least I like learned a ton, got investor updates. And now I'm like, Okay, on to the next one. And then hopefully it does pan out. I want to talk about investing for non-founders, okay? And I know that you had done a TikTok on this, I think it was like months ago, where you talked about like how you made certain financial decisions and like the questions that people should ask within their career in order to have like build their wealth. Yeah. So talk to our audience about what they should be looking for, how they should kind of go about doing things. So you mean like when they're saving up their own money to start angeling? Yeah. Yeah. So like even just like the ESOP things that we were talking about. Yeah. I think like I just made a very conscious decision and like literally I'm working on this right now, but one of Hot Smart Rich's slogans is going to be like, act like an owner, even when you're not an owner, because that's what I always did working in the startup environments I was in was like, I always had equity. I never once worked at a startup without equity. It just to me was like, what am I doing all this for? I also just like made a really conscious decision. I think when I was like 25, I worked at Salesforce started my career. I got stock and I was like, holy shit, this is what stock is. Like, this is amazing. Renovated my bathroom with the stocks. Like, it was crazy. So when I was like 25, 26, I was like, I want to start putting money away and stop spending it on purses and watches and all these things that I could be buying. And don't get me wrong, like, I still like the odd thing here and there. But I just made a very conscious decision to be like, I could spend it on X. Even today, I still may, I still make those decisions. I'm like, okay, I could buy the new Bottega bag or that could be like $3,500 I could put towards an investment. And if I'm angeling into pre-seed, no, like no traction, just an idea, I'll start with like five to 10K. Mm-hmm. And so that to me is like Bottega bag or like a mission driven thing. And it's a very conscious choice that you have to make. And it's not exclusive. I think you should have a diversified portfolio and handbags. If they're a specific brand can be an amazing investment. So can watches. So it's just about, I think, just getting very clear on like what your financial goals are when you think you're going to need to take out money, whether it's to buy a house, whether it's to have a wedding, whether it's to have a baby, and then really trying to understand how would angel investing fit into the mix. And Mm -hmm. I think that is a huge misconception about investing is that you have to have $100,000 to put towards angeling. You don't. Yeah. But you want to be diligent with the ones that you are doing to make sure that even if it doesn't work out, you're aligned with the mission. Yeah. What is the minimum check side? Like, I know that we said like even $1,000, you can do something. But if you are working with like a syndicate or like someone like yourself, like what kind of minimum check size are we talking? So I think for like each syndicate lead will be totally different. Like I know some that will do like 5,000, 2,500. I think it also depends on how strategic you are. Like if you can offer a ton of value and you're just like, listen, I don't really angel invest, but I have like crazy stuff I can line up for them with distribution or with marketing advantages. Syndicate leads like should understand that and take your money. But I think that's where like there is that differentiation between like angel groups where you can invest like that $1,000 Personally, with my syndicate, there is a minimum check size. Usually it is like 10,000 just because if I'm raising, you know, let's say half a million dollars, well, it's going to take me a lot of people with a thousand dollar checks. And so that's when I was like, I'm going to democratize the education for people on TikTok. So it's for everybody. But I'm still running a business at the end of the day. My goal is to do something beyond being a syndicate lead one day. So I wanted to make sure that it was still being done in a way where it's like, I can't manage physically like the same amount of effort that goes into answering a $10,000 check or a $50,000 check is into a $1,000 check for somebody else because it's all relative. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's just about exploring, getting questions answered, talking to people and just being honest. Like there's, it's not embarrassing if you're like, I only have $10,000 to invest this year. I want to do 10 deals just to learn, get investor updates, do $1,000 into each company. 
I would tell you like the Hustles angel investment community, the council, those are two really good options that you will be able to invest in companies with that check size. Love that. Okay. Audience questions. Okay. (laughs) When you invest in a company, what value are you bringing into it? Like what's your role in it? I think it depends on what exactly it is. Like now it can even be more like on the TikTok side, like even just awareness, adding it into content organically, because I literally like live and breathe by the startups I invest. And I feel like people know that. But then it goes down to being even there as a brand operator with my skill set, right? When a founder comes to me and they're like, you know, we're working on our marketing budget for the year. Do you mind just taking a high level look at it and understanding if we're allocating it to the right buckets? Like at one point underneath the CMO of my startup that I worked at, I was managing an $18 million budget. So I can really understand like what's working. And I always tell people like I learned on somebody else's dime at a startup. So brand operator skills, obviously I've, I've helped with certain celebrity deals, bringing them into the mix. I think really to be a good investor, it is around utilizing your network and being able to offer opportunities to the founder before they even ask. So, you know, today I'm on the phone with a, a VC and they tell me about what their thesis is, what the stages are that they would look at to invest in something. And I'm like, I should introduce you to my portfolio company founder because this is exactly the type of company you're looking for. It's a little early, build the relationship. Mm-hmm. The founder's not having to reach out and ask me to do something. So I think that's the most important thing is like you should be willing to give your network to the founders that you're a part of. And then I do think the onus, again, is on the founder to manage your investors just like you would employees, like ask for asks. You're not always going to get it, but it's better to ask and put those in your investor updates than not because otherwise you're just flying solo when you do have a team of people that are owners and they should want to help you build your business. Yeah. Yeah. Couldn't agree more. How do you structure your day? Like, uh-huh. tell us your like re- morning routine. I know you're a morning <laughs> routine girly, but tell us everything. I have had to this last, I would say year, like let go of this psychotic structure I used to have. Like I am naturally very non-organized and non-detail oriented. So I have lived my entire life of like, up at 5 a.m., like journal, have a coffee, go for a walk, do this. Now it is a bit more fluid, although I still like I have to be up before six. I just like I feel anxious already if I am not up before that time. Always work out. Always. I don't care. Even if I feel like crap, five minutes. Like I just need to go and clear my head. I'm a huge podcast girl. So like I listen to podcasts in the morning. I'm writing notes depends on the day. Sometimes I'll take calls with Eastern people and then I'll take the afternoon off now if I've been like crushing it at work during the mornings. But I think the thing for me is like it's about choosing very consciously what will make me happy in that day. So it's like working out. Obviously, I'm drinking coffee. I'm having water. I'm making a smoothie. I am journaling. I like to be alone. That is like the biggest thing. Like my partner was like, you are always alone in the mornings. You never want to talk. You never want to cuddle on the work on the work days. And I'm like, well, I like to be alone. And I think it just gives me the space to like think about everything that's going on and then make good decisions for myself moving forward that day. I love that. And then what about in terms of like how you structure your days? Like, do you have certain days for TikTok yes. and others for yes. like, okay. So I also recently did this at the beginning of this year. It was like Fridays are only in-person meeting days. Like, obviously this is an exception because it's like a podcast, mm-hmm. but I really try to do only Fridays being in a meeting and I'll do like five or six in one day, Tuesdays and Thursdays, all calls. Like I will literally stack an eight hour day of calls. Mondays and Wednesdays is like, zero calls, literally, like unless something's coming up or it's my conscious decision, I need something like I leave those days to be creative, to think, to film, to do work behind my computer screen. And then the rest of the days are just crammed with stuff going on. But when I didn't do that, I found like, when are you actually working? Mm. Like you're just on calls 24 seven and nothing is getting done. And I was not creative. I was not operating at my potential. And so I made that switch in January and it has completely changed like my entire life. Yeah, I'm with you. I think you need to also manage how many calls you're on. Like otherwise, I mean, I've noticed this obviously as the company grows where it's like everyone needs your fucking time and I don't have time to give to everyone. I'm sorry. No, and even 
even like the thing that breaks my heart is honestly like the amount of people that reach out to have a phone call. I would love to, but I think people don't recognize the volume that it happens at. And I've been on the other side where I'm reaching out to like my, you know, dream girl career crushes just wanting a phone call. And I would love nothing more than to do that. But it's actually impossible. And that's what makes it so hard is like it is having to say no, even though I don't want to, but it would be you probably get asked a million times to Uh, have phone calls. And and it's it's hard. It's really hard because like I'm with you where I was on the other side. And I'm like, honestly, I'm trying to figure out a solution here because I hate saying no. I thrive on helping people, but there's only so much that I can do. Also running a business of my own. You well, know? I think that's why the podcast, like even the options for people to ask questions, exactly. it's like that is the floor to feel like, you know, okay, they are answering this specific thing that I had because otherwise it just, it's, I wish I could. It's just physically impossible to do that many calls. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it, it really is. And well, you just started your HSR community walks too. That was like, actually for this purpose, like I was, when I, especially when I would go to a new city, I was asked to like go for coffee with really cool people. Like, investment bankers, PE, founders, sales, like everybody. So cool. Creators. And I was like, why don't I just host this walk so everybody can meet? I'll spend time with everybody. I thought like 10 people were going to show up. And then the second walk that we did in Toronto had like 65 people there. And I was just like, holy crap. But I think, and maybe I someone will call me out on this. I think I talked to every single person for at least like five minutes And it was just so beautiful to see, like, it wasn't just about me. It was actually exactly what I thought it was going to be, which was, like, everybody connecting and talking. And that's what I love about building a community is, like, it's it's not about me. It's Hot Smart Rich. It's for everybody. And it's not the Maggie Sellers show. You know, that's not what I did this for. It's literally because I didn't have that community getting into this. And now I feel like, honestly, I'm just so excited about building it. Yeah. I love that. I love you. Tell everyone where they can find you. Okay. So um, somebody has Maggie Sellers on TikTok. I really would love that handle, (laughs) but it is Maggie Sellers underscore on TikTok. And then on Instagram, it's Maggie Sellers. So if you have Maggie Sellers on TikTok, please, I will pay you for it. I just need it. (laughs) Thank you for being here. Thank you so much. I love you. Thank you so much for listening. If you loved the episode and feel like it brought you value, don't forget to rate the show and leave a review. It takes five seconds and really helps the show grow so I can keep bringing on awesome guests. If you want to follow me behind the scenes, you can find me on Instagram at Sif And don't forget to hit subscribe so you don't miss a thing. I drop new episodes every Tuesday, so come hang with me and shoot the shit with some really smart people, learn and unlearn, and have a lot of fun. See you next week. Please note that this episode may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products and services. Individuals on the show may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to in this episode.